0: Wi-Fi 101, we're going to cover some of the, you know, foundational um, fundamentals of Wi-Fi today and make them easy to understand, um, especially for people that are seeing these, you know, getting these concepts for the first time and uh, make this relatable and make it fun and, uh, you know, kind of take the magic out of it. Right. Uh, Because, you know, for a lot of people, especially end users, Wi-Fi is kind of this mystery it's magical. It's a, how are we, you know, transferring data back and forth wirelessly, and I can't see it. Um, I don't know what it does. I know the light on my AP is on, and my laptop or phone says it's connected, and that's all I know, right? So um, for a lot of folks, you know, it's, it's mysterious, and it really doesn't have to be. You know, there's some fundamental concepts that we'll explain that'll help it uh, make a lot of sense to you. So let's talk about, you know, troubleshooting and, you know, in the, in the legacy or traditional environment, <clears throat> you know, it kind of goes like this. Your end users have a problem. Um, they're convinced it's a Wi-Fi problem. Um, and maybe it is or maybe it's not. But they call the help desk. They call you. They're waiting for you at your desk in the morning uh, before you've had coffee. And it's, you know, can get kind of ugly. Right. But they don't have a lot of good information it disconnects i can't connect it's slow right the wi-fi stinks all right and that was that's the the rated g version it can get much worse but that's not very helpful really you know if you look at the entire system involved in delivering applications wi-fi is one component it's got a myriad of sub and there's there are all uh, all sorts of other places where that application performance could suffer. And so just relying on what you get from grumpy users makes troubleshooting problems difficult. Um, And so when we're talking about Wi-Fi problems, there really are four areas that you should focus on during your troubleshooting. And our tools make this easy. So the client devices, um, the Air, the RF, where that wireless transmission is going, the access points i'll call them APs uh, from here on out and then the network the route switch network the internet connection all those things and there there are all these root causes within um, these buckets where we can find the cause of issues Uh, the adapters and drivers on the client devices themselves can sometimes result in wi-fi problems and for a lot of end users um, they never, never even consider that it's, the problem actually could be, have its root uh, on the device they're using. Uh, for them, um, the Wi-Fi uh, access points, the APs, are where bad Wi-Fi comes from. It couldn't be the actual performance of their own devices. In the air, in the RF, there could be interference from other uh, Wi-Fi networks or even, um you know, uh, sources of non-Wi-Fi interference. We'll talk a lot about that. And the APs, their configuration. Um, there, might, there may be oversubscribed and there may be congestion. Um, there could be coverage problems. Those are easy to understand. Or maybe the AP is misbehaving and the radio is stuck. And then up on the network, maybe DHCP is not working. You can't get IP, an IP address. Uh, an internet connection went down. And that looks like a Wi-Fi problem, even though it's just an internet connection problem. Authentication services are unavailable. All those things are are going to need investigation. And when users say, you know, oh the Wi-Fi stinks, it doesn't really, you know, point you in the, in any specific direction uh, to find the root cause of that problem and get it fixed. So that's where our tools come in and, and helping you really focus on where you need to. Uh, troubleshoot. So the spectrum, the RF spectrum that um, Wi-Fi uses um, is part of a big um, broader swath of spectrum that in the US is managed by the FCC. In other countries, there are other regulatory bodies um, that manage the spectrum and decide who gets to use it for and for what. A lot of spectrum is licensed. That means um, the regulatory body will license that spectrum to say a cellular carrier cellular carrier pays uh the government a lot of money for exclusive access to that spectrum, and no one else can use it so you'll see that in say uh the seven hundred megahertz uh band and the eight hundred megahertz band there's a lot of l t e going on there, but other parts of the spectrum are unlicensed, and this is where regulatory bodies decided that. Why don't we just have some spectrum that people can just do whatever they want in, and that'll spur innovation? Because you don't need to come and buy a license from us. You don't need to go get a uh, uh, you know a ham radio license. You don't you don't need anything. You just have to uh, make sure that the devices you use meet these requirements, and you're you're all set. You can use these so-called unlicensed bands. In the U.S., the unlicensed bands that we're, that we're concerned with are the 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz band. There's also the 900 megahertz band, uh, which is used for IoT um, and other applications. But for Wi-Fi, um, it operates on the 2.4 gigahertz band and 5 gigahertz band uh, because those are unlicensed and you don't need any approval uh, to to transmit. Um, on those uh, frequencies. So one of the major differences between the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz band is the propagation. And that's how far uh, the signal uh, will go from a transmitter on one of those frequency bands. So the 2.4 gigahertz band has a much longer wavelength. And that, that means it goes further before its signal degrades which could be a benefit if you're just talking about coverage, or it could be a problem if you're talking about interference. Five gigahertz uh, band has a higher, sorry, a, a smaller wavelength. So it's, uh, it's it, it attenuates faster uh, and drops off faster and so it doesn't cover the same area that you could with 2.4 gigahertz. It also means it's, it's less likely to interfere with neighboring uh, access points using the same channel. And we'll talk a lot about um, interference and co-channel interference uh, as we go. So RF attenuation, right? This is the phenomenon that you experience when you drive under a bridge or through a tunnel and you're listening to the, the radio. Don's got his uh, soft rock blasting. And uh, you know, he's coming down the highway and all of a sudden <laughs> smooth. You know, he, jazz, he, buddy. <laughs> he, smooth oh yeah, okay. His Kenny Duts <laughs> right. yeah, right. out and he's really upset and he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> well, he went under the bridge and um maybe it should be Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh and he lost his uh the signal. The signal was attenuated by that bridge, all the concrete and steel in there. Uh attenuated the signal, the RF signal so much that uh it you know it, it fell down below the noise floor and we'll talk about noise and uh his his radio was unable to receive it anymore so different building materials typical to the enterprise have different uh, attenuation characteristics or what we'll call here a, a barrier to propagation so modern build, building materials wood glass um uh drywall um and plaster uh, they're they're not bad RF signals can get through them uh, pretty well uh, heavier building materials uh, metal and concrete and uh, mirrors in some cases uh, attenuate the signals uh, quite a bit and again that that could be good or it could be bad um, high attenuation means interference from other aps is less likely to make it through uh, that wall, but it also means the coverage cell of a certain AP is going to be limited. Um, so those are all um, you know important things to be aware of, especially when you're doing a design. So let's talk about what that looks like. So this is a just a little um, drawing of a, a dual radio AP. It's got a 2.4 gigahertz radio, and that's the coverage area is is the red circle for that. And it's got a five gigahertz radio that's the blue circle so you can see uh, better coverage with the 2.4 gigahertz radio more uh, clients are, are serviced uh, by that because it's got a higher coverage in this in this simple drawing but um, we want to have five gigahertz coverage everywhere and we'll talk about the reasons for that in a minute and so to do that in an enterprise that's a little bit bigger than a single you know, a single family home, for instance, or an apartment where single AP can give you coverage in both bands, we need multiple APs. And so in this case, we've added two more APs to increase the five gigahertz coverage. So now um, we've got five gigahertz coverage everywhere. And as people move through the physical environment, they move through across cells and their, their devices that they're carrying with them need to roam. Uh, that means establish a new connection to each AP as they move into a coverage cell. There's more roaming in 5 gigahertz because those cells are generally a bit smaller. And so effective roaming is a, a, a unique need for enterprises with multiple access points. So the next uh, dimension to look at is, uh, you know, the channels that each each AP uses. So in the 2.4 gigahertz band, there's three channels we can use. Then we've got this uh, AP on channel one. Then we've got our five gigahertz radios, um, each on different channels. We've got one on 149, one on 64, and actually another on 149. So, because there's enough distance between these APs, that might be okay. Because our covered cells are kind of small, and so they're probably not transmitting at the same time, or their transmissions are not reaching each other, and um, and we're not causing problems. So, as we add users to a cell, however, now we got to think about the coverage uh, from the transmissions of the users themselves. So the um, client-induced interference is something to consider. A client out here on channel 149, when he transmits, he might reach over here and cause interference. So that's important to know. The best thing to do is always to put your APs on their own channels so they're not interfering and and the clients are not interfering as well. Okay, so uh, you know a good analogy for um spectrum and the available channels in a band is the highway and to think of each um each each channel as a lane on a highway. So I said there were three channels in the 2.4 gigahertz band. That's the uh how it works in the US, three non-overlapping channels. And in the 5 gigahertz band there are 25 so you could think about the five gigahertz band like a 25-lane highway. There's so much more capacity in a highway with that many more lanes. And that's really important to enterprises uh, with multiple APs. So this is what that spectrum looks like. And uh, you know, on top here, we're showing the non-overlapping 2.4 gigahertz channels, one, six, and 11. There are 11 distinct channels in the 2.4 gigahertz band, Um, but if we use the channels between one and six and between six and 11, they will interfere um, with the APs on adjacent channels. So we want to limit it to one, six, and 11. So we have the most non-overlapping channels we can use. The five gigahertz band um, doesn't have that problem when you're using 20 megahertz uh, wide channels, which is the default. Uh, In that case, um, the the channel numbers don't allow uh, for overlap. And so you can see we've got 24 uh, non-overlapping channels in the five gigahertz band, sometimes 25 depending on the regulatory domain. And you can see how many more uh, available channels there are. So one of the the unique things about the five gigahertz band, and you shouldn't do this in the 2.4 gigahertz band because of the spectrum limitation, but in the five gigahertz band, you can use wider channels. So you can um, switch on these 40 megahertz channels. That was a uh, channel width. That was introduced in the 802.11n amendment, and it's been available ever since. And if you use twice the spectrum, you get twice the throughput. <clears throat> a very simple way to to make your Wi-Fi a lot faster. However, when you double the channel uh, width, you cut in half the number of non-overlapping channels you have to work with. So we'd go from 24 non-overlapping channels to 12 non-overlapping non-overla- channels with 40 megahertz wide channels. 802.11ac um, takes this concept um, quite a bit further with the introduction of 80 megahertz wide channels, like we see over here on the right, and 160 megahertz wide channels, Because we're and we're not even gonna show you that uh, because there really isn't enough spectrum to support that in an enterprise with multiple access points or neighbors that are also operating on the five gigahertz band. With 80 megahertz wide channels, we go down from the 12 available uh, non-overlapping channels with 40 to six. And so now we're having to design with only six non-overlapping channels. We need our APs to be pretty far apart for that to work without causing interference. And so it's uncommon to use 80 megahertz wide channels in an enterprise usually 20 or 40 are, are what's stuck to with the spectrum we have available today. So let's talk about noise and co-channel and adjacent channel interference. And you know, sound is a great um, analogy to use for this. And actually it, it behaves very similarly, right? If we're just listening to music, it's us with our one radio. We've got no noise uh, in in the, <clears throat> in the environment that our music is competing with, and everything's loud and clear. But when we turn on other radios and other people are listening to music, say you're in an apartment building with thin walls and a bunch of college kids um, are all, you know. everybody wants to listen to music all the time. So your neighbor's got their music playing, you turn on your stereo, and you know what? Their music's kind of loud, so you need to turn yours up pretty loud and now the other neighbor wants to listen to music and it's hard for them to hear anything at all so they turn up. there's a really loud and eventually the whole building is everyone's got their stereos cranked to the max but nobody can actually hear their their music it's because of the noise and the interference if you will coming from uh, all the neighbors the way to fix that the best thing you could do just have everyone just turn their stereos way way down, actually, and then they'd we'd all they'd all be able to hear the music in their own apartment without getting interference um, noise coming through the walls um, from the the people around them and so that difference the difference between the signal you're receiving and the and the other signals that you don't want to receive, that's the signal to noise ratio. All those signals, the noise we can think of as being the surrounding uh, apartments. And the signal is, is your own stereo in your apartment. So noise for Wi-Fi um, is surrounding APs. Certainly um, APs operating on the same channel Uh, that you aren't connected to are considered noise. But also remember, Spectrum's unlicensed, anyone can use it for just about anything. Um, There are sources of non-Wi-Fi interference that that show up as noise as well. The 2.4 gigahertz band especially is plagued with some of those um, things. So Bluetooth, microwaves, um, uh, motion detectors, Zigbee you name it uh a lot of different things even USB 3 hubs sometimes can emit 2.4 gigahertz energy and and uh raise the noise floor um there in that pan. so about 5 gigahertz uh with so much more spectrum and uh you know less uh uh propagation because it attenuates faster actually has a lot less noise in it. Um, So we can achieve in general, higher signal to noise ratios and have better performance in the five gigahertz band. So another way to think about this, and this is a really good visualization. The 2.4 gigahertz band is like a wide open, crowded and noisy sports bar. Everyone's kind of shouting across the table at each other, the TVs are blaring, the music's pumping, and you're just screaming at each other just to have a very simple conversation. It's hard to comprehend what people are saying even though they're being so loud. Um, And that's because there's so much noise um, outside of the conversation you're having. The five gigahertz band is like a really nice, elegant restaurant. You're there with your significant other, and you can talk in a very comfortable tone, and you comprehend each other just fine because it's so quiet there. The noise floor is so low that you don't have to speak very loudly to create a big difference between the signal of your voice and the the noise, the the surrounding noise in the environment. So co-channel interference, um, you know, we we briefly looked at what that means. And and really what we're talking about is APs being on the same channel. So you can see channel changes going on here. And sometimes we've got APs on the same channels. And we're also watching these cell sizes change a lot. What we're seeing here is the effect of RRM, radio resource management, or sometimes it's called auto channel planning or auto RF. This is the algorithm that is built into Enterprise WLANs that uh, automatically sets the AP uh, radio channel and the transmit power that it uses. And um, it's marketed as a uh, you know a very effective tool. Uh, it can save you a lot of time and, and doing a design. Because the APs can kind of uh, we can we can um, take data from all the APs and what they can hear in the RF and generate our own channel plan and transmit and and radio power plan. And uh, on top of that, it's sort of self-healing as time goes on and interference sources show up, we'll just change channels automatically when those are detected, and things will go great. Unfortunately, uh, in practice um solving that problem is is much much more complex than um what it sounds sounds like so the results from using rrm often in a in a high density network don't look too good you could end up it's hard to believe but it happens you could end up with 3 aps all on the same channel and when they're all on the same channel they're all uh contributing noise to each other which affects that signal-to-noise ratio. And they're all, you know, Wi-Fi is a very polite protocol. It, uh, one of its characteristics is that it listens before it talks, LBT. And so what that means is a, a Wi-Fi phone or an AP or a laptop, anything that's speaking Wi-Fi, it's gonna listen to the channel before it transmits. And if it's not empty, if it's not available, it'll wait. So if one of these APs is transmitting, the other ones will wait for it to stop before they start transmitting. And now we're all sharing what's called the same collision domain and we're all limited to the airtime uh, that's available in that particular channel. That's why if we're all u- if each of these APs is using a separate channel, they're all in their own collision domains and we've got actually three times the capacity now than we, we would from a single channel. RRM can cause uh, coverage issues, too, when it changes transmit power, um, especially in its default state where it's sort of unconstrained. And these things can sort of come and go intermittently, and it's hard to keep an eye on what's going on. So um, the tools we have, Eye in particular, Um, uh, are really good at monitoring RRM and what it's doing Um, so you can so you know hey this AP's channel changed you know 25 times yesterday that's very disruptive by the way every time the channel changes all the clients get dropped from that AP and they have to reassociate so it's a great way to keep an eye on that uh, if you're using it uh, so a little change of pace here. So this is a little thought experiment. <clears throat> so which one of these laptops would you buy? These are the specs that are usually published. These are actually real laptops that, that at one time at least, were on the market, and it looks pretty obvious. You, if uh, if if money was not a concern, you'd buy the the laptop on the right. That one's got an i5. Uh, Processor in it, it's faster than that i3, so you're going to have better performance. Right? Who wouldn't want an i5 um, uh, if they had that option? But down in the specs, you'll see really significant differences in the uh, Wi Fi capabilities of these two machines. The i3 on the left has an 802.11ac uh, uh chipset and that adapter supports the five gigahertz band that has all that extra capacity that's that has uh, greater throughput um, that is less prone to interference that will result in much better performance especially in an enterprise the laptop on the right has an adapter that only supports the 802.11 BG and N standards so that's kind of shorthand for saying this adapter does not support the five gigahertz band. it only operates in the two point four gigahertz band, and what did we learn about that earlier? There's only three non-overlapping channels, there's a lot of interference. you know that's the noisy sports bar that that you don't want to do business in especially in the enterprise so even though the laptop on the left has a slower uh processor. Anything that uses the network, which is any application you're using today, is going to have better performance thanks to that better adapter. So it's good to learn about the standards. You know, I kind of threw out terms 802.11g, b, n, and ac, Um, but that's uh, you know that's really important. Learning about the understanding the capabilities of the APs and clients that you've got in your environment. So Wi-Fi six, you know, the big announcement yesterday from Apple. The new iPhone will support Wi-Fi six. Wi-Fi six is the next uh, major amendment to the eight hundred two eleven standard. Um, it's eight hundred two eleven AX, and the Wi-Fi Alliance is trying to simplify the marketing around these releases. And so we're just going to call this Wi-Fi six. Uh, after the next big one will be Wi-Fi seven, and so on and so forth. Make it easier to know yeah six is bigger than five i'd rather have six easier to to remember than do i want 802.11ac or 802.11n or 802.11a i don't you know who knows so the numbers are, are just for simplicity but whereas uh with other standards or other amendments we saw uh most of the focus on making wi-fi faster 802.11ax or wi-fi six is a is actually a departure of that. It does result in faster speed, but it does that uh, by making the use of the spectrum much more efficient to reduce congestion and operate um, and share spectrum in ways that are more similar to LTE in the way cellular phones um, share their, the, the spectrum that they have available. So it uses a form of channel multiplexing for better airtime sharing, and the feature, you know, the really the headline feature of 802.11ax is going to be OFDMA, and that's uh, a really interesting feature, quite a bit beyond our, you know, Wi-Fi 101 uh, fundamentals that we're talking about today. But if you do a Google search for 802.11ax and OFDMA, you'll see some really fascinating things about it. So very good, very cool technology that's catching on uh, very quickly and uh is is uh interesting to see uh how that is developed. We should see that amendment uh ratified uh hopefully by the end of this year. And uh, you know, handy this is a handy way in a Windows box to, to figure out what are the capabilities of a machine. So if you go into PowerShell or the command line interface and just run this uh, uh, show WLAN show interface command. Uh, we'll see some basic uh, uh, information about the adapter that's installed. Um, uh, and most crucially here, um, the description actually shows the name the the model name of that that adapter, which you can take, um, pop it right into a Google search, more than likely the first result. Will be the manufacturer's um, uh, specs or support page for that adapter, which will tell you exactly what it is. So in this case, we're learning that it's a two-stream, 802.11 AC adapter. So very handy and easy way to learn about um, your your clients. So we talked, you know, we've talked a lot about Wi-Fi, but To really address, you know, we've been specific about Wi-Fi and the RF and contention and APs and and everything that's happening in between the uh, client radio and the AP radio. But for clients, or for end users, I should say, to really um, believe they're having a great Wi-Fi experience, it takes more than that. It it takes great device capabilities. It takes a good Internet connection if they're using uh, applications on the Internet that needs to be fast too. Uh, The environment needs to be free of sources of non-Wi-Fi interference. And the network itself um, upstream of the access points needs to be sound uh, as well. And the applications that are provided by that network needs to be speedy. There's a lot more um, uh, to application performance than just Wi-Fi that gets all the attention. And with our tools, um, we can make it easy to identify uh which which leg in the in this experience is is uh is is the root cause of a problem all right well, with that don i think uh i'll I'll end it there and send it back to you
1: thanks jim uh great work as always love your presentations. My um, pleasure. Yeah. So we, we did have some questions come through. Um, thanks for those. Uh, I'll get to those now. Uh, and some other folks catching up on telling me where they're from. I, we really appreciate it. Uh, had some California folks and some other folks around the U.S. Uh, uh, pinging in here and letting me know where they are. Uh, and some other folks actually going to Wi-Fi track. So uh, thanks, Jonathan. Yes, looking forward to seeing you in, in Nashville as well. Um, looking forward to uh, the rest of you as well that, uh, that are coming to our regional user group. Um, Jim, you had mentioned about uh, Wi-Fi 6 um, being supported by Apple devices. Um, is Mobileye ready for Wi-Fi 6 is the question.
0: Yeah, um, uh, we are, you know, Mobileye is entirely software based, and it's uh, it's showing you what a uh, device's capabilities are. So uh, Mobileye will be ready for Wi-Fi six um, when it becomes a you know a, a broader reality in the enterprise. Um, we'll be will be uh, right there with with uh, with Wi-Fi six support. Um, I I think today uh, we're focused on 802.11ac and previous generations of Wi-Fi there, Uh, but for us, um, it's not a matter of developing new hardware, it's just um, updating uh, our software on the software side uh, to support that. So uh, we'll get there and it won't take very long.
1: Yeah, absolutely true. All right, question from Chris here. Uh, can you explain? Uh, uh, can you explain what signal value means in detail? Yeah, so we may, we, we may um, not have time for in detail, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I would. There was a good talk um, on at WLPC I think two years ago about what RSSI actually is or means. It's actually quite a rabbit hole. But uh, uh, t- the shortest explanation is RSSI is the value that we, u- we talk about most in Wi-Fi um, when we're talking about signal strength or signal value. And that's the received uh, signal strength indicator um, from the device doing the measurement. And it's measured in decibels. In Wi-Fi, um, our reference is milliwatts. So you'll see that as uh, uh, DBM decibels uh, uh, reference to milliwatts in Wi-Fi. And uh, it's a negative number, usually somewhere, you know, in the NeG-40s down to the NeG 90s is, is what we see.
1: All right, thank you. Uh, we've got time probably for one more question here. Some other folks uh, mentioning where they're from. we got a uh, shout-out from North Carolina, Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, I believe, is close to Nashville, right? Is that driving distance? Maybe we'll see Jacob at Wi-Fi Trek, too. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what about 5G? When do you think this will be available? Now, I guess you know this is one another one of those rabbit hole things, but maybe, Jim, just some of your thoughts on you know, when do you think uh, 5G will, you know, will it ever, uh, I guess maybe the first question is will will it ever become mainstream? Do you think there's a world for it, um, you know, compared to Wi-Fi and, you know, what do you think the timing's like for that? Well, we're seeing the, the cellular
0: carriers rolling out uh, 5G in the United States, uh, at least already today. Uh, right now, uh, it's limited to Using the millimeter wave band uh, which I believe is in the um, twenty four uh gigahertz uh, spec um, uh, spectrum and uh, uh like the difference in propagation uh, between uh, two point four and five gigahertz, the propagation for um, that millimeter wave band is is very small uh or very short it hardly penetrates anything at all, so you need a lot of radios uh, for good coverage with millimeter wave fan. However, um, that also uh, supports much higher throughput, and that's uh, how you see in you know, commercials and, uh, and uh, bandwidth tests, um, cellular radios, uh, 5G radios uh, pushing over a gigabit of throughput over that, through, uh, over that uh, uh, 5G connection. Um, So when will it be available? You know, it's going to take some time to get penetration. I think millimeter wave will will probably in the U.S. be limited to urban areas where it makes sense to deploy um, those uh, base stations uh, very densely. And, um, you know, they'll also, you know, to really get coverage in in buildings, they'll have to have uh, radios deployed in buildings as well. So it'll be an interesting um, you know, next couple of years as we see the carriers and enterprises negotiate how that's gonna work to get 5G uh, into buildings. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts about it. There's a lot of different opinions about it out there. Um, I don't see Wi-Fi and 5G really being competitive. A lot of it has to do with the business models, right? Wi-Fi is unlicensed and anyone can Build and deploy their own Wi-Fi network, and once it's done, it's essentially free. 5G is a cellular carrier technology, and their business model is to is to uh, uh, charge you a subscription and uh, make money on the, the data that you use. And so you'll end, you'd have a data cap, and it ends up being more expensive. Of course, they both have uh, great use cases, and they. Just the same way LTE complements Wi-Fi today, I, I
1: think that trend will continue in the future. Great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for the question, Sean. You know, Jim, I'm thinking we've got time for just one more. Is that okay with you? Sure. All right, cool. Uh, so this question is for Jim, from Jim, excuse me. Uh, will the 7Signal system detect external-based signal interference issues. For instance, there is a growing develop, uh, deployment of 5.8 gigahertz point-to-multipoint networks for delivering broadband services to end customers. Um, this, mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about um, uh, uh, wireless ISPs or WISPs that use high-powered um, uh, radios sometimes Wi-Fi based uh, in the five gigahertz band that's unlicensed and um, can we detect those with um, seven signal systems yes we can so Safarii has a um, spectrum analyzer that runs continuously and it saves that data to the cloud um, so you can we save a, a month's worth of history from every Safari um, so it's very easy to go back and look at spectrum uh, over that period of time and see what non-Wi-Fi um, interferers are are there in the spectrum that you're sharing it with. And if it is a, uh, a, a WISP or a, a radio that's using Wi-Fi, uh, we can give you a lot of intelligence about it and what it's doing as well. So, yep, definitely capable of helping you out with that.
1: All right, thank you. Um, a couple other folks, Florida here. You know, Jim, why not one more? What do you say? Sure. <laughs> I got a question for Felipe. This may be a quick question. Uh, any ETA on the release of Windows 10 updated package for Windows 10 Mobile?
0: Um, We support Windows 10 today, so you yes. should be good to go with that. Yep.
1: I figured that would be a quick one. That's why I dropped yeah, it in there. 51. Um, awesome. And, uh, so from Florida, but watching in the Philadelphia airport, oh, good luck. That's, I think the, one of the most congested, speaking of congestion, one of the most congested airports in the country, if I'm not mistaken. And that's where I grew up. Um, folks, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, uh, great job, Jim. Thank you.